Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. The Consolidated Appropriations Act, passed at the end of 2020, included a ban on surprise billing, with much of the implementation left up to regulatory bodies. This week, NAHU submitted a letter to the relevant federal agencies with comments and concerns about the implementation of this law. Marcy is here to discuss what we wrote. It's been a while since we talked about surprise billing. Can you remind folks what balanced billing is and how this law contends to stop it? Yes, Dan. So balance billing or surprise billing is what happens when a patient goes to a healthcare provider that is out of network and then receive a bill for the cost of that care because it was provided by a healthcare provider that was not in the network of their insurance coverage. So sometimes this happens by accident. Someone doesn't check their network and they inadvertently go to an out-of-network provider. However, this happens most often in different types of settings with surgery or emergency care. And it happens oftentimes when people, especially if it's at the emergency room, are seeking care and are unable to do the research to find someone who's in network or are incapacitated and can't do that, can't look that up or even tell the treating physician what coverage plan they have. So this can obviously lead to just exorbitant costs on the patient who did the right thing and has insurance coverage, but in an emergency situation through no fault of their own, ended up being treated by someone who was out of their network. There also leads to confusion in scenarios in which a hospital might be in network, but specific providers at the hospital are out of network. And so that can lead to a lot of patient confusion. And oftentimes then the results in a patient being treated by someone that's out of network, then resulting in that hefty bill that comes in the mail as a surprise bill. And then as you noted in the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, Yes, it was passed in 2020, but it got the date for 2021. There was a section called the No Surprises Act that attempts to combat surprise billing. And what it does is it requires notification to any patient that is being treated by an out-of-network physician. So they do have to receive notice that they are going to be treated by someone who is out of network and specifically for instances in which there is enough time because of whatever the treatment plan is, that there is enough time to make that patient aware. 
And then there are exceptions for emergency care to hold the patient harmless in emergency situations where a patient is not either able to consent to an out-of-network provider or is not able to even communicate what plan that they're in. And then once they are able to provide consent, that leads to decisions going down the line on when it's appropriate to change their course of treatment or care provider based on what their coverage is. So let's talk about the letter we submitted this week. First of all, why do we submit this letter now? Is regulatory work on surprise billing starting soon? Regulatory work on surprise billing is already underway. So under the CAA, the requirement is that rules should follow by July 1st of 2021. And you are reading your calendar correct. We are in June of 2021, and we still do not have those regulations. So what is expected, since we haven't gotten a proposed rule, is, and the agencies have all but confirmed, that they are going to be moving forward with what's called an interim final rule. And so this is expected to be be released at the very end of this month or very beginning of July and will take effect pretty much immediately. So even with an interim final rule, we can still submit comments. It's just less likely that they will be able to make any changes to the rule prior to the following plan year, just because of the timing of when this will come out and the details and and administrative work that carriers and providers will have to do in order to prepare to be in compliance by the end of the year. So that's why we came together and we're working with a discussion group made up of NEHU members from different market backgrounds to provide some kind of prospective comments to the Department of Labor, HHS, and Treasury, who will be drafting this interim final rule so that we can give them our ideas of what we would like to see in this interim final rule while they're finishing it up so that hopefully when we get it, there won't be large chunks that we want to see changes to or that we're stuck with for a year or more until they're able to go back and make some revisions. The surprise building ban passed in the CAA does utilize the process of arbitration, which is, in our view, the less than ideal way to solve the problem. So how did we convey that in our comments? You're right, Dan. And for those that remember our discussions from the past several years on surprise billing and the approach that we took with Congress, our request was for them to utilize the median and network rate as a point of resolution for out-of-network bills or surprise bills. And with the way that the No Surprises Act was put together, instead of using the median and network rate as that point for reimbursement. Instead, it allows the surprise bill to go to arbitration, like Dan said. The arbitration process is technically called the Independent Dispute Resolution, or IDR, but for ease of discussing this, we're not going to call it IDR. We're going to refer to it as arbitration. And the way that their arbitration is set up is that both parties, so the healthcare provider and the carrier or the employer, if it's in a self-funded group, each will provide a number to the arbiter. So 
and I'm going to do a little definitions here. So arbiter and arbitrator are both correct terms. So you may use the term of your choice, arbitrator or arbiter. Arbiter just rolls off the tongue a little easier for me. So I'm going to be saying arbiter. The two parties will provide their number to the arbiter on what they believe should be the amount for the billing for the out-of-network procedure. And the arbiter will determine which of those two numbers is appropriate for the care. So the arbiter won't average out those numbers. The arbiter won't make any changes. He or she will pick one number or the other. So the provider's number or the carrier or employer's number as the appropriate amount. NAHU's Virtual 2021 Annual Convention will be held June 27th to 29th, and it promises to be the most innovative, productive, and fun meeting that you have ever attended. If you have not registered for convention yet, then why not? The clock is ticking. On June 10th, the early bird rate of just $99 will disappear. So please, if you have not signed up already, please go to NAHU.org and sign up for convention now. However, something that we were able to get included was that the arbiter, when determining which of those numbers would be appropriate, is able to look at some outside factors. And one of those factors, or the top of the list, is what the median in-network rate is. So that, for us, was a win. So that when the arbiter looks at that number, it's more likely that he or she will pick the number provided to them by the carrier or employer and the physician or healthcare practitioner and pick a number that's closest to what the median in-network rate is. There are a number of other factors that the arbiter may consider. However, in our comments, we pointed out that we want to make sure that some of those factors, and I'll list those and give examples in a moment, are pieces that are already considered when carriers negotiate with healthcare providers to determine what their in-network rate is. So when negotiating network rates, carriers already look at whether a healthcare provider is at a teaching hospital, what their experience background is, what their quality measures are, what their geographic area is, all of these different measures so that those are already taken into account for that specific healthcare provider with each carrier that they are contracted with. So then if you take a median in-network rate, because you're looking at all of the different healthcare providers, which have all already gone through this process of negotiating their rates with the networks, all of those other factors are already in place, have already been calculated. So they don't need to be thrown in again on top of the median and network rate. So we do have a section of our comments that focuses on that. Um, we also have another section when it comes down to the arbiter about what qualifications an arbiter or arbitrator must have. In the statute, it just says that basically can't have a relationship with a healthcare provider or a carrier. But when you think about that as a blanket statement, it's 
pretty hard for someone not to have any type of connection to a healthcare provider or a carrier, especially when we think that it is a mandate that everyone have insurance coverage. So everyone should be carrying a card in their wallet from an insurance carrier at least. Also taking into consideration that there could be some entities already in place that are well-suited to serve as arbiters, but may have relationships or contracts with providers or carriers. However, they could serve as arbiters in situations where the carrier they're contracted with isn't a party to the arbitration. So thinking about people who have had experience in the health insurance market in the past and may wish to serve as arbiters, we believe shouldn't be excluded just because of that prior relationship. So kind of sussing that out a little bit more. And while we definitely want to make sure that we don't have any conflicts of interest in with these arbiters, we also want to make sure that they have an understanding of the insurance market and are able to serve the consumers appropriately. So in what other areas did NAHU seek clarification ahead of this interim final rule? Other areas in our comments that we sought clarification on are pieces like the the role of states in all of this. So over the past couple of years, we've had a number of states that have taken action to pass some type of ban on surprise billing. Some of them have used an arbitration method. Some of them have not. Because they were state laws, those laws could not touch ERISA plans or those self-funded plans. Some states allowed for self-funded plans to opt in if they would like, but as you can imagine, many did not want to opt in to this. So with the CAA and the No Surprises Act from the federal level, a lot of questions have come out on how the state laws will kind of be reconciled with this federal law and how any preemption from the state law, how that will move forward. And even though we have posed this question to the agencies already, we posed it to members of Congress while this was going through the House and the Senate and now have also brought it up again immediately after the CAA was passed to go ahead and put it on the radar for the agencies, but we haven't gotten a clear answer on that yet. So that is something that we definitely pointed out in our letter is needing some clarification on how those state laws are going to be able to be enforced and what happens if the federal and state laws are a bit different. We are also asking exactly what constitutes an in-network arrangement compared to an out-of-network provider, especially with group health insurance that may not have a traditional network structure. So things like reference-based pricing of surprise bills could be a little different than what the statute intended when they were putting together the No Surprise Act. The No Surprises Act also includes air ambulances, which was something that was thought to be seen almost as impossible since it also is regulated by the FAA. But we do have more questions about this. What if the air ambulance is in network for those that do have networks, but they take a patient to an out-of-network facility? There was also a section that would address diagnostic laboratory tests that might be performed by an out-of-network provider at an in-network facility, but could be balance billed. And the 
the statute basically asks if consumers should have a list of these tests in advance. And we said, yes, absolutely. They should know if they're going to be balanced billed for something like that and asked for that list in advance. And then finally, we brought up some more questions about post-stabilization care. So if someone was admitted in an emergency, they weren't able to consent to where they were or where they were taken or what type of provider was providing their treatment. And at one point after the treatment or care, our questions are, at what point are they considered stable? What happens if a healthcare provider says that the patient is stable, but the patient doesn't feel comfortable leaving that healthcare facility and doesn't want to be, or doesn't feel comfortable moving from what may have been an an out-of-network facility where they were admitted during the emergency, you know, across town to a place that is in-network, will they be balanced billed for that post-stabilization care? And at what point is that triggered? All of us can probably imagine some situations where that could happen or, you know, family members of ours that would refuse to leave where they have been admitted until they are ready to walk out the door on their own and not want to take an ambulance across town or be transported in another manner and want to have their their care interrupted. So a lot of questions about that just to make sure that the consumer can be cared for appropriately without ending up with a surprise bill. It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting to Welp Magazine for including us as one of the top 20 healthcare podcasts to listen to in 2021. Thank you, Welp Magazine. And remember to subscribe to the Healthcare Happy Hour wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to rate us and leave a review. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.